Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Hope you guys had a great weekend. I think we did here in North Kakalak. And uh, you know, we love doing, J.J., our, our, our uh, segment every Saturday, 125 Eastern on XM Radio. Uh, I think I thought it was your turn this weekend. I thought it was too, but they, they didn't called call. me. They, they called me call on me. Saturday, and uh, I was waiting funny. by the phone. The host always, uh, I think the host at different times of the year has asked, "It's a little slower time for you guys this time of year with the draft deadline passed." Like, no, <laughs> no, we were working Saturday morning on the Olympics. JJ working more than I was uh, as we uh, I, covered the Olympics from afar. I actually got the reverse question on Sunday from a friend of mine and said, "So now with the playoffs coming up, is it going to get busier for you?" And it's like, no, actually, the Major League playoffs is not. The busy thing for us. We got books coming up. This That'll is almost one of the slower times because we're gearing up for prospect season, but you can do it a little bit more at our, at our own pace with the daily grind of the minor league season winding down. We'll have our first minor league playoffs this week, which is exciting. Uh, we're located in Durham, North Carolina, as many of you know, and we'll have uh, international league playoffs here. It looks like Durham Bulls uh, magic Limping number is two. The, uh, but the Carolina Mudcats also down the way, down the down the new I five forty expressway. They're going to have playoffs, so playing more baseball in our area. But uh, we thought we'd talk about some consequential baseball. We could talk a little pennant races if we wanted to, but we'll probably end up talking a lot more about the Olympics, which were decided this weekend. Uh, obviously, it's, there's so much going into the baseball discussion of the Olympics. JJ, this was the final Olympic tournament uh, for baseball. Baseball's been removed from the Olympic program, as they like to say, for sure for 2012. Could be back in 2016. That vote is not till I believe, the fall of 2009. Although Jacques Rogue this weekend not making it sound real good. That's how I wanted to start off was Jacques Rogue actually went to a game. First off, he went to a baseball game. uh, Sat next to Harvey Schiller, the Dr. Harvey Schiller, the head of the International Baseball Federation. And, uh, boy, really, you know, like you said, Jacques Rogue really made it sound like uh, it's either major leaguers or nothing for the Olympics. And uh, we, we, that's a whole philosophical point that probably could take the whole podcast. But let's start there before we get to the huge Actual stories action, yeah. on the field, which there were great stories. South Korea going undefeated, winning the gold. Team USA having, I think, a solid showing. They lost three games, twice to, Cu- uh, twice to Cuba, once to Korea, uh, two of them extra inning games, or one run game, I'm sorry, last at bat games with the round-robin losses, and then just getting pummeled by Cuba and a semifinal, but rallying to beat Japan to win bronze. I think Team USA acquitted itself fairly well, but we'll get into that later. But let's, the subject of the Olympics, uh, baseball in the Olympics. First off, I guess, JJ, just flat out, do you think baseball should be in the Olympics? Not, not whether it's good, bad, just m- taking all the factors in, whether it's good for baseball, bad for baseball, whatever. Baseball in the Olympics, at all costs, like do whatever you have to do to get in, that, where, where does it fall for you? I, I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, with what the IOC wants to have baseball in the Olympics, i just say, you know what, baseball was fine for 100 years not being in the Olympics. Before 1984, before it ever, you know, I guess it appeared one time, I think, as an exhibition before. But, yeah, there were several exhibitions before, but, yeah. But basically didn't appear as a medal sport until over 100 years after baseball had started. Right. And was fine without it. And now with the World Baseball Classic, which there's no one can argue that the World Baseball Classic is a much 
more accurate test of what is the best, what team is, you know, which country is playing the best baseball at that moment. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's certainly tweaks to the World Baseball Classic. They've only had one of them. But the one World Baseball Classic was, I think, a better event than any of the Olympic tournaments that you have get, been held in terms of quality of play. Well, for one thing, to put it bluntly, the Olympics, Venezuela, Dominican Republic. Correct. Those teams never play in them. To have an international baseball competition where you're trying to say, here are the best baseball countries, and the Dominican and Venezuela are never represented not, is but, foolish. You know, Italy may, you know, nothing against Italy, nothing against the Netherlands, nothing against, but there are every, you know, every Olympics, there are countries who, when you talk about baseball tradition, don't compare yeah. in any way to those. If this year's Olympics actually had the strongest Olympic tournament right. field, you had six legitimate baseball countries. A seventh in the Netherlands that, okay, if you're going to have any European country, you want to have the Netherlands. But this was the weakest Netherlands team that I'd seen. Right. By far the weakest Dutch team I've seen in international play. Just three years ago in 2005, the Dutch, uh, I think, finished fourth. or Maybe they finished second at the World Cup that was held in the Netherlands in 2005. The U.S. finished eighth in that tournament. Uh, they barely made the, the, you know, the medal round, and then Brian Bannister got lit up by, uh, by Cuba. Um, but that, you know, that... Just three years later, the Dutch team was much weaker, and it's just the way that their hit their hitting has evolved or not evolved. Uh, yeah, they had, they had some pretty bad hitters on this team who were playing every day, and they scored. Uh, we said that going in, they scored nine runs in, the, in their seven games. It was brutal. Uh, but no, I, I agree with you. And, and the thing about it is, is that the World Baseball Classic greater than Olympics, right? In terms of quality of play, and with it, I don't know anywhere I put it. I mean, I've been hammering on, you know, IBAF, and I hate to keep hammering on them, but the reality of it is is that you also have in the World Baseball Classic, not that Major League Baseball by any stretch is this perfect entity that, you right. know, that everything they touch turns to gold, but it's hard when you're watching the Olympics baseball to not get the feeling over and over that there are people involved in this who have never really even seemingly been to a baseball game and understand the concept of it. Yeah, I think, I, I think the difference is, uh, maybe the way to put that is, because I'm sure they have, right. but I think that when it comes to IBAF versus MLB, no matter how, what negatives MLB has associated with it, it's certainly, like you said, it's not perfect. But in general, Major League Baseball looks needs a great product on the field and does everything it can to have a good product on the field. And, and there's a lot of meritocracy involved. There's a ton of politics in MLB but eventually it's a meritocracy. Who's going to win and who's not going to win on the field? I guess decided on the field, and MLB, the central agency, usually gets out of the way of things to let teams settle things on the field. And that's not what happens in international sports of any kind. Uh, there's, there's a lot more taint with international sports and a lot more politics in all international sports, and that's certainly the case and in baseball when you have the IBAF, which has generally been controlled, I think, by everybody but Americans. And, hey, you know, Americans don't have any monopoly on what's best for baseball, but it had a lot of Europeans in charge of the International Baseball Federation, which used to be based in Switzerland. None of that makes any sense. When I first started working at Baseball America, and this just changed in the last year, the International Baseball Federation's website was baseball.ch. .ch is for Switzerland. And that, I mean, that just made no sense that, but, at all. And it was run like the president of Aldo IBAC. Notari, the late Aldo Notari, an Italian um, and I just don't, and I think that's actually why baseball got voted out because the people who ran IBAF didn't know that baseball was on uh, thin ice when Jacques Roga took over as head of the IOC. Juan Antonio Samaranch, the previous IOC president, was actually a baseball kind of guy. He liked having baseball in the Olympics. He was one of the guys who really helped get baseball in the Olympics. And Jacques Roga is not. Jacques Roga is a rugby guy. His wife is a golf 
advocate and a golf coach and a golfer. And what did they try to do? They got rid of baseball and softball and tried to put in rugby and golf. That's the politics we're right. talking about. And that's the MLB politi- has that none of that involved in the World Baseball Classic. And when it comes to it, like I'm, when you compare the umpiring, yeah, I, I mean, say none of that involved. I should say less of that involved. Right. But but when you like when you compare the umpiring, here's where it can be involved. <laughs> right. The umpiring, I think, you know, generally, thankfully, there wasn't a whole lot of examples of where it was, you know, it really caused problems. Right. But you saw, like, umpiring that was below par for what you would... International umpiring is terrible. And, I mean, I, it's, it's Major League umpiring is, has its flaws. We just had a three-pitch walk and a five-pitch walk this weekend in Major League Baseball. But in international play, it's worse. And that's something where if you... And it's the same way, like, if you took a Class A umpire and threw him in the big leagues, the reality of it is is that... You are overmatched because when you are talking about elite level talent, right? Like when you're calling talking balls and strikes, that's a problem because yeah. you're not used to seeing a curveball that you know breaks as much. You're not yeah. used to you know all that. But even just simple things and like these are the things that just annoyed me throughout it. Like you'd see, I saw you know an example like this. Okay, uh, and maybe they went back and changed it, but Mike Hespin fields the ball. He throws it into the ground, two feet in front of the first baseman. First baseman doesn't glove it. And they call for, you know, error on Matt Brown. Huh. And it's like, no, that's not, you know. And this, I actually agreed with this, but you never see this, but how official baseball scoring works. There was an error called on Alexi Bell where he never touched the ball. Yeah, the right fielder, he just missed the ball and for QB. I actually, I, I wish that's how, you know, it was a score, but right. having been, you although know. It, although in the rule book, it said you can't score like that. Right. So. That's the thing. <laughs> is, is that, But you have people doing this who just are, it's, again, I, I'm not trying to, hammer this point too hard. Because that's the thing, I, I, there might have been, Jake Failing or some of the people from IBAF who are American might have actually been technical people. They might have been the official scorers right. there. I, I don't, so I'm but, not sure. But, but you, you're, the point is, overall, that it's just not a level of quality that you're that is major associated with Major League Baseball. And, and you see that on, it's the reality on a lot it's, of it's, levels. It's, it's an afterthought. In the, I mean, when you go beyond everything else, as far as the Olympics, it was an afterthought in the Olympics. I don't fault them for that. Baseball's not this big draw where they're going to have 40,000 people show up in Beijing to watch yeah. it. However, they had good crowds in the medal round. Right. But the ballparks, as they've, you know, as pointed out a couple places, basically were bleachers thrown up that, you know, probably today, um, you know, the baseball stadium is being dismantled and, Correct. you know, and yeah, it was a, it, it, that was something that came across in many articles is that it was a very temporary facility. I'm sure the field was in fine shape because Murray Cook, uh, MLB, right. was over there, and MLB made sure of it. To me, the, uh, getting back to the first question, which is baseball in the Olympics and its place, to me the only way I think baseball should stay in the Olympics is on the same lines as soccer. I think soccer is an instructive model. And I don't even think MLB or Japan or the Cubans would necessarily even go for this. But football, you know, soccer, at the Olympic level is a 23-and-under tournament. But FIFA strictly enforces that if you have a professional player who the national team selects, like Brazil, Ronaldinho, his professional team has to yield Ronaldinho if and, they have games. He's going the, to the Olympics, period. But one other key point with that. Actually, in Ronaldinho's case, I think they actually want him to go because he's rehabbing an injury, and they okay. wanted to get him to this competition. There's also the three-player ex, the three player exception to the under-23 rule. Right. That's which right. Is, so you essentially have a team you know, of these younger players, but then – and this is where you know, you know this is where I think their baseball would always have a severe problem with it, mm-hmm. is that – in addition, they work a way to get a couple of other older stars right. on each team 
so that the guys that you know that people are going to show up to watch. I don't think that's a problem. I think if MLB though wants to, basically, if MLB wants to grow the game internationally by using with its own funding, where the MLB funds it all by itself, it's going to expand the World Baseball Classic and do it that way. If they want to expand the game globally with some other help financially, they're going to compromise with the IOC. And I think the only compromise that's workable for MLB is the soccer model because you can go to the IOC, IOC and say, look, we're like soccer. We have our own international tournament. We also are, we're a big deal without you. Right. And that's how soccer negotiated 23 and under. The Olympics needed soccer, they felt. So if the Olympics want to have baseball and want to have big leaguers, and the only way is a compromise. Do I think IOC and MLB will reach that compromise? No, I really don't. I don't buy. I don't see it happening. And I don't but see I th- how they could get a star, a big league star, to play in it. If MLB makes that compromise and really is committed to growing, then they can do it. Will the clubs agree to that? I don't know. But I'm just saying, if they want to, that's the compromise, JJ. I, I think it's plausible. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a. I don't. I don't see. There's absolutely no way they're going to ever stop the season. And I like the under 23 plan better than the plan that Mike, that, that Harvey Schiller has advanced, which is like, okay, if we cross our fingers and get lucky and have the Olympics in 2016 in Chicago. Then we can have a one-week Olympic break. We'll play the first round, the round robin, with a team of minor leaguers, and then the medal round with a team of big leaguers. If we make it to the medal round, I mean that's just a ridiculous proposal. Oh, it, it, I mean, there's, I'm sorry, that's just a that's a sham. That's a that's a Travis Shamockery of a proposal because you're having a tournament with the one team playing one round, another team playing another round. That doesn't make any sense. I, I think that the soccer compromise, the soccer model, is the only one that's workable. And even then, uh, it would take a lot. It's a stretch for MLB to, to, to go that way. But I do think it really is a decision of what MLB, what, it's, what their goal is internationally. And if their goal is to go for broke and try to be as global a sport as they possibly can, I think that's the only way they can do it. Because I, I think that's a compromise where the IOC gets some of what they want and MLB gets some of what it wants, which is a less of a disruption of the integrity of pennant races every four years. I, I really think that that compromise actually is workable and, and right. it would be doable. And I, I think under that, I would want baseball in the Olympics. Stopping a season or having a, the, 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 the Schiller plan, which is like major leaguers for a week in the medal round, that kind of thing, I, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't like any of those plans. I would either, if baseball could be kept in the current format, I'd be, fi- I'd be fine with that. I think baseball in the current format is okay in the Olympics. I could live with it. I could live without it. But I, I really think the only way that, only compromise that I would go forward with is is uh, that the, the soccer model. And maybe you have fewer exemptions. Maybe it's 23 and under period, and there are no exemptions. But uh, you would have some of these young big leaguers who would go. But if it's the same rules everywhere, you'd still would have had you Darvish. You'd probably have Justin Upton, players like that, who would but, go to the Olympics. And, and honestly... I think that would be an interesting tournament, and maybe it would be worth it to take a player like that out of a, the U.S. for a couple of weeks to go to the Olympics. I, I don't have a problem with that. that. That's for as a Major League Baseball fan who thinks that two weeks out of four years you can't do that. No, and if you're here by, all right, I, I, I can. I'd, I'd say no, and the reason I say that is, is okay. Say that you take a player, say Evan, you know, Evan Longoria. Yeah. Say you take Evan Longoria. No, he got hurt, you know, here. But right, say, no. but say you take him out for two weeks on the Rays, and say when the season's over and. We're not even going to go for you know go to the point of say he gets beaned while he's over there and right you know, right but like Matt Laporta did right <laughs> but but say that he goes over there for two weeks and then when the season's over you know basically the Rays end up a game out of the playoffs yeah I think the Major League Baseball pennant race is more important 
than the Olympics. I don't disagree, but uh, in most cases, but I think that uh, I, I don't think. I guess I think it's more important. The pennant race is more important than the Olympics most of the time. I think if you want the game to grow internationally and you want the Olympics to help pay for that growth, then you have to make that compromise. So I guess I'm willing, if the Olympics is going to pick up a lot of that tab, I'm willing to make that compromise. And if I'm MLB and I think there are billions of dollars out there for me in China or India or these future international markets, and not just money, but future talent, then I'm willing to make that compromise. I think that's the decision that Bud Selig and Bob Dupay and Don Fear and the union, they have to make. But I, I really think the Schiller plan doesn't debate. make any sense. But, I, again, I will say I've, I've, Paul Seiler of USA Baseball pointed out to me many times the soccer model. I'm not sure that's the one that Paul favors, but I think that's the closest parallel. Be- baseball, and not just MLB, but in Japan as well and in Cuba, baseball is bigger outside of the Olympics. It exists Big yeah. time outside the Olympics, the rest of the time in soccer is very similar, and that's not the case for swimming or track no. and field or gymnastics or so many of those other quote-unquote Olympic but sports. It is the, you know, they want to get golf in. Basketball is completely different. But they want to get golf in. Golf, golf in the Olympics is 100% Jacques Roga's personal preference. Right. But the reality is, is that what it comes down to it is, is that and you know, they want to get golf in instead of baseball. Golf's the same way as baseball, the same way as yeah, soccer. Yeah, correct. It's like, you know, no one's going to go – well, I didn't get to go to the Masters, but right. I won a gold in the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Rugby's also kind of along those same lines. Rugby has a giant yeah. World Cup. Oh, and huge. here's the thing. Rugby's also – rugby's basically a, a U.K. Commonwealth sport. Correct right. me if I'm wrong. I mean, Is it played make, really outside the Commonwealth? You make the argument with baseball that it's – you know, that basically baseball, there's – really are. I mean, you hit it. There's – if you say six, you could say seven. But see, no, that's the that's no. It's not correct though, because I'd say ba- Panama's a baseball country. Well, sorry, the Dominicans a baseball country. Sorry, Venezuela's me, a Dominican let me, let me a baseball country. Countries that actually would potentially send like we're talking about those countries, they will not even get a team together. Right. Yeah, MLB would basically have to organize a Dominican team. And and here's <laughs> we're talking about how great the World Baseball Classic is. You have Venezuelan players already saying they won't go play for Venezuela in '09 because of a Luis Soho being the manager again, and no one asked them. B, uh, the Venezuelan uh, government, and I guess the committee, did not take care of the players. That Burger King post-game <laughs> meals. And, I mean, that was just you hilarious. You can't do that with big leaguers. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you probably can with uh, Carlos you know, Zambrano and uh, Henry Blanco, but I think Johan Santana's uh, watching his weight. So. That's right. Blanco. Blanco apparently is star at Burger little, King. Yeah, we, gotta, we, had, we had to do our little Batgirl, uh, you know, little Batgirl shout five. out there. Why not? But uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. John Manuel and uh, J.J. Cooper waxing eloquent about the Olympics. Let's talk about the on the field, uh, the actual events that happen on the field. Let's start off with your medalists. We'll start at the top. South Korea, J.J., uh, just a huge shock for South Korea, not only to win the gold, that's shocking enough, but to go undefeated. Right. The There's no event. debate that they were the best team. At th- I mean, you can't debate it. You can't debate it. And the thing is, they played Cuba twice in Korea in a warm-up tournament. So they've been playing Cuba four times. They beat them three times. Two games that didn't really matter and two games that did, and they beat them both times. And Taehyung Chong, the closer, gets the uh, – I mean, this, this is a perfect – he comes in, bases loaded, one out, and his catcher has been thrown out of the game. <laughs> so new battery completely with one out, bases loaded, gold medal game, Cuba batting in the bottom of the ninth. And Taekwondo, no there's no faces, tough situation. And here. you're facing the one Cuban player that most Americans know, Yulieski Guriel, even though, frankly, Guriel probably is 
the fourth best ranking, hitter, yeah, maybe if you were ranking best them, hitter. You know, I mean, yeah, it's something where at least if you're watching the, yeah, we've been. I'd rather have Alexi Bell. We've been a little over part of the overhyping of Goriel. In 2006, we were right on point. He was their top player, but since then, this guy hasn't progressed. And we put him on the cover of our Olympic preview this year, not as the only picture, but one of the images, basically because that was the best picture we had of a Cuban player, and we didn't have we anything good of Alexi Bell. Bell out of Cuba. Let me make it. But clear. if you but if you look in the if you look in our preview, we wrote that Guriel's star was fading a bit, and that Alexi Bell and Alfredo Despagne were their top hitters, and that was proven true uh, in the Olympics, especially with Alexi Bell, who was the base of the tournament's MVP, uh, but he was our best player. Uh, of the event, but so Guriel's up there against Taehyung Chong, and Taehyung Chong goes strike one, strike two, seventy-one mile an hour change piece from down low, roll over ground ball, and not an artfully turned double play, but an effectively Effect, turned you know, six four three by Korea. When they're when they're recalling that ten years from now, telling the story of winning the gold, it'll be the be- most beautiful double play ever turned. And here's the, th- the fortunate thing for me is I, I I'll be completely honest. There I think there were seven Kims and six Lees on the Korean team. I have a very difficult time. Keeping track of Korean players, I'm, there's just no there are no other two ways about it. I get mixed up with the names. There's I guess there's a cultural barrier for me, but the fact that 13 players have the two last names makes it very difficult for me to keep up with their players compared to players internationally for other countries. But Lee Sung Yap, we all know he's the best hitter Korea's ever produced. Oh, yeah. He had 54 home runs in a season in Korea, which was the 50, record there. 50, 54, then 56. And 56, I'm mean, 54, and then 56. Then he played. He's had successful seasons in Japan. Three seasons for the occult Swallows. He's had a terrible season this year. Not for the occult Swallows. He Yomari, played for the Yomari Yomari Giants. Giants in Tokyo. But he's had a terrible big league season there with Yomuri. Yomuri. One home run. He's been sent to the minor leagues. He was having a terrible Olympic tournament. But then in the medal round, uh, you know, Toolsy McClutch would be proud. Uh, I guess Lee Sung Yap is Korean for Toolsy McClutch. Home run against Japan. Hated rival Japan in the semifinal to break a tie. As they came back from you know behind to beat so They were Japan. down 2-0, ended up winning 6-2. And then he hit, has the go-ahead home run in the gold medal game as well. As Korea wins, uh, I guess he he made a, he put him up to he runs one and two. He right. accounted for Korea gets the go-ahead run to and the have a three, double in the early innings still yeah. right to, 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 for their third and decisive run. And then the other player I really know on Korea is Taehyung Chong. And why do I know Taehyung Chong? Because I got to see him in person in 2000 in Sydney. He was the only amateur on Korea's team in 2000. And I've talked about this guy for eight years. Two of the best games I ever saw in my life were U.S.-Korea in 2000. The first game in the round robin was a nothing-nothing game for eight innings, thanks to Taehyung Chong, who dealt for seven innings. Submarine, Team USA wanted no part of him, could not hit him. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Dudman Kavich grand slam on a 3-2 pitch when he didn't even swing the first five pitches, six-pitch grand slam. Uh, U.S. wins that game, and Taehyung Chong matches up again in the semifinal. Both games, it was... Taehyung Chong versus Roy Oswalt, and Roy, neither one got a decision in either game. And in the second game, in the, in the semifinal, the U.S. was lucky that Korea took Taehyung Chong out in the seventh inning uh, you know, after six, point, six and a third innings, and the U.S. finally ties the game off the bullpen and wins on a walk-off Minkiewicz homer in the bottom of the ninth. Um, but uh, Those were just two amazing, amazing games. Um, and then Taehyung Chong pitched and was closing for Korea on their undefeated run through the World Baseball Classic when they got to the semifinals, they lost only in the medal round in the World Baseball Classic. This time, Korea does the same thing, uh, you know, gets to undefeated in the round robin, but gets to the medal round and is able to close the deal this time. And Taehyung Chong gets the save in the gold medal game for HJU, the left-handed pitcher who I've emailed with a scout. He thinks that HJU, if he were, he's overweight, 
He's not in the greatest shape, and that's why he lost control of the strike zone in the ninth inning. Well, i got to admit, no, I, I'm watching it today. I, I thought those pitches were balls. I don't think he got squeezed that bad, J.J. That angle was not I thought there was one close. that was potentially, but the one that was over the middle plate and just maybe a tick above belt high, I thought was squeezed. I didn't see one of those, but that's just me. maybe that's me. Uh, the angle was terrible yeah, the for angle, the camera no, work. No, no, yeah. They were about 20 feet to the right of the pitcher's uh, well, mound, so it's pretty again, hard to see. Again, I mean, you know, I won't rail too much, but. There are and, angles that you should have for, you know, baseball and shooting. NBCOlympics.com, their camera people. Well, what I, their camera people? It's the official uh, oh, IOC ter- feed. Well, the, that IOC feed was terrible. They did not, It was clearly broadcast by people who are not familiar with broadcasting baseball. So that's another part of baseball in the Olympics. But uh, anyway, HJU pitches brilliantly. Uh, you know, and this is, again, a scout I talked to who says, get this guy in shape. Consider he's, a tw- he's 21 years old. Consider him a college left-hander. He's a first-round pick. He's up to 93 miles an hour. It's a very good breaking ball and a very good changeup. Changeup um, was out. Yeah, was and he's left-handed. Uh, and he's got he's got a big pro body. Just needs to get in a little bit better shape. And he's also, I mean, that was I think was the eye-opening thing about this tournament. Maybe you know, we we kind of try to follow you know the KBO as much right. as we can, and you know, but it's always been kind of it's it, there's no other way to put it. You've got the three Asian leagues. The you know Japan leagues are the cream of the crop. Yeah, it's, it's in between basically AAA and the major leagues for me. And then Taiwan is basically home of the league that seems like has a uh, gambling scandal about every other year. <laughs> that's right. I mean, I, no other way to put it. But, that's, but the Korean league is kind of the in the Korean middle. The Korean league is basically, but it's really kind of always seems like it's the, the general gist of it has been that if you're really good in Korean baseball, you'll move up to Japan. It's 2.5A for me. It's like double A. It's in between double A and triple A. But what we saw at this tournament was, you know, they've got pitching that is not. Two point five, you know, eight no, no, pitching, no, absolutely, and and like, and basically, what you saw, I mean, well, but they, but their best pitcher, though, but I, I actually, I think it is two point five eight pitching because their best pitcher is a guy who the, uh, are, you know, is a twenty one year old who the scout I'm emailing with says who, would be a first round pick right. in the draft this year, and that's David Price was last year's first overall pick, and he's barely in AAA, and he's struggling. Right, I think we're guy, underestimating AAA play when we talk about it. That may be true. That, I'm saying, but this I think guy, American though, AAA is pretty doggone good. No, it is very good. I it's mean, a pretty well, good quality of play. It's, it's bronze medal caliber. I just saw. <laughs> that's right. I just saw. Well, I just saw Ross Ollendorf yesterday it was ninety five miles an hour in the eighth inning, and and he's a he's gotten hammered twice in the big leagues and. Uh, he was pretty doggone good in this Triple uh, A game I watched yesterday. It's the Baseball America podcast. John Manuel and JJ Cooper uh, arguing how good Korean Baseball Association or organization baseball is. The point is, it's pretty good. They just won a gold medal, and uh, and I, I would argue that Taehyung Chong, who's about 27 years old, 28 years old, uh, this guy sh- could, could sign right now and go help a big league bullpen. Oh, I, 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 uh, he was outstanding, and seven strikeouts and four innings, two saves, and a game-ending double play with a gold medal on the line against Uleski Guriel. Strike one, strike two. Roll over ground ball, yeah, double play. Worst, I mean, you can't at, get better than that. At the worst, he's a. I mean, he's a setup man who's death on right hand. Absolutely, and there are a lot of teams that could use that guy, like the Minnesota Twins or like uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers with uh, Broxton having to or close the right now. The New York Mets. The New York Mets could absolutely use that guy, and uh, and then there's Cuba, who also have some players that uh, people could use. Um, there are some significant Cuban defectors out there right now. I I got a Francisco Liriano comp on Arguelles, the left-hander who. Defected from the junior national tournament, the junior world tournament in Edmonton earlier this month. I got two Orlando Cabrera comps on the middle infielder who defected in that tournament, who I didn't get great information on previously, but I talked to two scouts about him, uh, about both these players, and I got I got an Orlando Cabrera comp from both of them. Let me let me give a little skepticism. And that's here. A, that's let an eighteen year old Cuban middle infielder. Let me give a little not that you know, but especially when it comes to Cuban pitchers, because okay. there almost seems like there's an exchange rate. On it, you know, in that like 
with Cuban pitchers, when you hear them come out, you basically you hear the comps and they're yes. at, you know they're at elite elite level, and then basically as a general rule, like no, you're right. It's, it's like now with hitters, it's not necessarily that you know. The big question with the career, with a Cuban pitcher for me is the, the better the younger you get them, the better because Levon Hernandez has probably had the most significant career of any Cuban defector, and he defected when he was 19 years old. And he was awful this year. We're not debating right. LeBron Hernandez yeah, this but year. He's had, but, he's but he's had a productive big league career. He got to the big leagues in, in 1996 and was a impact player in, in 1997 on a World Series championship team. You can't argue that. Yeah. And then El Duque also had a very significant career. Levon's had some really nice individual seasons and some brutal ones. Jose Contreras, at his peak, was a number one starter on a World Series championship team. He did that for about three months, and the rest of his career has been pretty up and down. But... Uh, I agree with you that Cuban pitchers are overhyped, and all Cuban defectors, frankly, are overhyped. Right. I mean, Kenny Morales is the best player Cuba probably produced in this decade, their best young talent, and he's not that good. And I think a huge part of it is Cuban players defect and don't they can't handle affluence. They can't handle the it's American adju- lifestyle. It's a heck of an adjustment. I mean, it's very difficult. Uh, it's, it's more difficult for them than it is for any Dominican player that I can think of. No, I mean, uh, cool. The situation is completely different. You're just having to handle freedom. And never having had it before, and that's that's very difficult. Well, so let's move on. Team USA. Well, well I want to say I want to real quick on Cuba. Cuba has three thirty-seven-year-old pitchers who could help in the big leagues right now. I'm convinced. Norhe Verrett, those five innings against the U.S. I believe it was or six innings, those six, six innings. innings. Yeah. At age 37, and shoves Dexter Fowler down early in that game, <laughs> which did. was just ridiculous. <laughs> and, then, but, and then runs over like, oh, no, 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 I wasn't trying to shove Absolutely. You. The international sign for I didn't do anything when he throws up both hands. But Norhe Vera deals. All he's ever done internationally is dealt. Adiel Palma deals. All he ever does in international play is, is deal. And then I, I'm going to find the quote about uh, Pedro Luis Lazo because this guy is just unbelievable. I mean, he throws three innings against the U.S., and for three innings, seemingly in every big game Cuba ever plays in international competition. I mean, the guy is just, uh, he, he, you just can't make up how good he is. Lazo looks like he should be on crutches or in a wheelchair. He's a huge, fat old man. I mean, he really looks like he is in bad shape. This is a, a scout I'm emailing with, with from, uh, from who was in Beijing. When he gets on the mound, something happens. He still has an athletic live delivery. You expect cigars and rum, and you get 96 on the black. And that's Pedro Luis Lazo, and he's dirty. And when he wants to turn it up, he turns it to 11. And, that's, and that's the thing. That's what was so shocking about South Korea winning this. That's right. Is that, uh, you know, when it comes to international play, I mean, I know, you know, that it's easy here in the U.S. to think, you know, well, we're, you know, the U.S. is the birthplace of baseball, so we're the best baseball out there. No. When it comes to international play, you know, Cuba has and I know they've had some recent slip But their ups consistency is unbelievable. They've been in every gold medal game that there's ever been. The last 50, I think it is Peter Barkman, uh, our, our communist friend, an American, American who is the uh, who, who rides, he toes the party line, so he <laughs> he has unfettered access in Cuba. That's my take on it, Peter. Sorry if you don't like it, but he has unfettered access in Cuba and covers Cuba a lot uh, from a very partisan standpoint. But Peter writes it very accurately. In the last 50 international tournaments that have mattered, Cuba's made the gold medal game of every one. They, they always reach the gold medal and, game and of every top-level tournament. Is, is that even when they lost, That's amazing consistency. Even when they lost to South Korea in the, in the round robin, you can very easily shrug that off because, you know what, time after time, as you talk about dialing it up, oh, yeah. you know, the Cubans know 
they knew that they were going to be in the medal round. I yeah. mean, they, that wasn't ever a problem. And then you just kind of expected that when it came to pressure time, they dial it up yep. as they do seemingly every time. At will. At will. And when they can't do it, they're stunned. When they couldn't do it against Ben Sheets, they could not believe it themselves in 2000. When they couldn't do it the other day against Korea, you could see they were stunned. Look, and, if you saw them on the, on the silver medal stand, I mean, it was like they would have rather – it looked like they would have rather left, you know, un, you know having not won a game. I and mean, the amazing thing so – the, the, so to me, the, the amazing thing about Cuba is I'm impressed, as you are, by their consistency, by their amazing ability to turn it on. That said, since 2005, when they won the World Cup in the Netherlands – 06, they did not win the Olympic qualifier. 07, they did not win the World Cup. 06, they also did not win the World Baseball Classic. But they oh, got the to the finals. Finals, is, I mean, yeah, that was very impressive. Certainly, it certainly was very impressive. They got a lot further than the United States. But 08, they did not win the Olympics. That is amazing. Cuba hasn't won a major international tournament in three years. And I mean, major. They won a Confederate. They won a, a, a America's tournament in 2007. I don't consider that a major event because the U.S. and Canada were not in that event. And the Dominican did not send real players either. I mean, it was like basically Cuba and a bunch of patsies. So Cuba won that event, yay. But there's been four significant events they've entered since then. Olympic Olympic qualifier, World Baseball Classic, World Cup, and the Olympics. they got four silvers. I mean, that's awesome. That's great consistency. But but they haven't won. That's a drought. And that is shocking in some ways. But but the the reality is they don't have have young pitching. Who's going to replace Lazo, Vera, Palma, etc. for Cuba? as the front-line rotation and in international baseball in the future. And we've talked about this. The guys who were supposed to, you can't even really – I mean, you can blame it on defections if well, you Mark want. Mark would have been one of them. He's their number right. one pitcher at the World Junior Tournament. But you also can Which blame they also did not win. Korea also won the World Juniors. Great month of, uh, of for baseball in South Korea. But you also can say that the guys who were supposed to, even if they hadn't – I mean, Miles Rodriguez yeah. was – He'd be 28 years old. He's 27 years old right now. But he's, you know, and he's 27 years old, he's and his done. last really good pitch was thrown several. 2002. Yeah, I mean, you basically you've seen several of these guys also blow their arms yeah, out. Yeah, Frank Monteith. Well, actually, it wasn't. Well, he blew out his back first, yeah. uh, Miles Rodriguez. But Frank Monteith was a guy who I think in 2005 at the World Junior Tournament seemed to be emerging as uh, this future ace for Cuba, and he has not uh, and, done it. There's a left-hander, Ardolis. I think it's Ardolis Chapman, a left-hander who's reportedly thrown in the mid to upper 90s. But he was left off this team, and the rumors are that he was left home because there was fear he would defect. Uh, right, so and that's the thing is, is you always have that. It's like you're, you're putting together a team, but it's also like, but we don't want to have, you know, we don't want to lose that guy. That's, that's exactly that, and that's the conundrum for Cuba. Uh, it'd be great if they found some more guys like Guriel, whose dad uh, played and kind of thought of the effect a generation ago and had that scared out of him, and now Guriel is very loyal to the country. You wonder if maybe Cuba's economy turns around somewhat under Raul Castro. I mean, you, you never know yeah, what's going to happen. You never happen. know. Like, that's, that's, we've been talking but, about this for 20 years. No matter but, like, how their economy turns eventually, around. Yeah. Eventually, if there is – here's the thing down the road. If there is a thaw eventually, yeah. at some point, it's hard to believe. I mean, I know it's been 40 years, over 40 years now, but 50 almost years. 50. Yeah. But at some point – if you actually get the point where the U.S. and Cuba, you know... Have some rapprochement. Right. At that point, the thing about it is, is that then what we're also going to see is, is that the mystique of Cuban baseball is probably going to take a big hit because... You'll see these guys. Right. You won't, you won't see Alexi Bell for the first time in the Olympics and go, holy cow, that guy's like a young Kirby but, Puckett but or a young Jimmy that, Wynn. The Cuban national team. Anyway. The Cuban national team will then operate the same way 
that the U.S. national teams do, like even for the World Baseball Classic, right. where you put together. I know that they play on different teams in for Serie Nationale, but it's different. But they also play together many games a year. Correct. Whereas it's really amazing to me that the Dominican and Venezuela don't have that same esprit de corps that Cuba has. I just I, because the rest of the world in Europe, like European basketball, has it. Argentinian basketball has it. I mean, Manu Ginobili makes millions of dollars in the United States. But it doesn't so matter. Paul Gasol, and it doesn't matter. Those guys are going to go and, all out. And you could say Yao Ming and China. Yao Ming will play. Right. Yao Ming will basically drag a stress fracture. Right. To the Olympics, you know. And that's the thing. I'm just surprised that doesn't carry over in baseball for the Dominican or for the Venezuela. Or for Venezuela. I mean, the Dominican played very well in the World Baseball Classic. Venezuela didn't. Venezuela was a huge disappointment in that tournament. I don't, that, that, the, I don't know enough about Venezuelan or Dominican culture. We're, we're 35 minutes into the Baseball America podcast. We've barely talked about Team USA. Let's give Team USA five good minutes here, JJ. I, I think uh, my quick take, kudos to the USA players for uh, – it was a difficult tournament for them. They really didn't have a whole lot go right for them. No, they had a lot go they, wrong. And they still win the bronze medal. Um, you know, they, they lost uh, Jason Nix for several games. They lost Matt Laporta for several games to injuries. I mean, Jason um, Nix, they basically lost for almost the entire – I know he came back for the final game, you yeah. know, which was good to see him get back out there. You and know. Laporta also came back for the final right. game from his but, concussion. But in Nix's case, I mean, he missed most, you know, all the tournament. I think the, ba- the, the, the things that I focus on for the U.S. are the selection process. I don't know if they realize how left-handed their team was. And they uh, right-handed, I mean, their team was. And they really probably needed a better left-handed hitter or two because they looked helpless against Norhe Vera and Pedro Lazo in the game that mattered. You had to know you were going to play Cuba. And Cuba's best pitchers, with the exception of Adiel Palma, are all left-handed. I mean, are all right-handed. And uh, the U.S. was not prepared with Nate Shearholtz, uh, basically, and then switch hitters like Terry Tiffey and Dexter Fowler. Nate Shearholtz was their only legitimate left-handed bat. And I know they lost Corey Rasmus right before, or Colby Rasmus, I should say, right before the event. But... There were no other left-handed hitters. and you know, Maybe they were going to get Danny Murphy of the Mets to play third base instead of Mike Hessman. Um, it would have been – maybe you sacrifice the defense and you take Matt Gamble. Matt Gamble's bat, left-handed bat, would have looked awfully good in the U.S. lineup. Maybe the Brewers didn't let them have Matt Gamble, but there had to be some left-handed hitters they could have gotten. Right. Uh, to make this to balance this lineup out a little bit, I think they really missed that. Or you take a left-handed four-a hitter instead of a guy like a John Gall, or again Mike Hessman, who was a swing and miss machine in uh, in the oh, Olympics. Yeah. So I think the selection process. I think you know Team USA didn't hit enough, and the biggest reason for that was they, they weren't balanced enough. They didn't have enough left-handed bats. So there's a. I'm I'm being nitpicky. B. I thought Davey Johnson's uh, management of their bullpen, and that's been a specialty of his in the big leagues in his career. I thought it was pretty poor. I thought that he divided up his bullpen into one day's closers and set up man on the next days, and he should have mixed and matched, it's easy to say in hindsight, his young guys with his older guys, but the Jeff Stevens-Blaine-Neal tandem was awful, and the Casey Weathers-Kevin Jepsen tandem was really good. And I don't know they would have scored two runs in the ninth to tie Cuba. But it took it out of the – But they gave up six runs in the, in the eighth inning with Stevens and uh, Neal each giving up three-run home runs. Stevens had two of their three losses. Neil's ERA was uh, 760, and that's not counting bases loaded, no outs, rain out against the Netherlands. Jeff Stevens and Blaine Neal were awful, and they're really the only pitchers in the, on the U.S. team who were awful. Brandon Knight had one bad start, one pretty good start. Uh, Brett Anderson was okay uh, in one start. Well, got knocked around a little bit in one start, and the second start got knocked around early and then, and then finished really down. strong in the bronze medal game. But in general, the U.S. pitched better than it hit. Uh, I guess Matt Brown was really their offensive most consistent offensive force, him and Jason Donald. Jason Donald hit 385. Brown had two homers and 10 RBIs, both highs on the team. Laporte also had two homers. Dexter Fowler, after a slow start, 
was really good. The, yeah, he was uh, one for 14 at one point, and then he, he, he did finish strong. But, I mean, David Johnson didn't even play him the first game. He had Nate Shearholtz play center field, and it's just disappointing that the United States continues to, uh, you know, to me, the disappointing part is you're going to use minor league players. You might want to use minor leaguers to manage those players. You might want to use minor uh, managers, I mean, who who are familiar with minor league players. It seemed like, even though David Johnson knew he was going to manage this team three years ago and has managed every international team since 2005 for the U.S., he didn't seem to know his talent until later on in the tournament as he got more comfortable with it. That that seems odd. I don't understand why you would play Nate Sheerholz in center field. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand uh, how, if you know the international game, that you wouldn't have predicted that against a lot of breaking balls that Mike Hessman would struggle. I, I thought that was a risky I hate choice. To say, yeah, but that was something that we were saying before Beforehand. they ever headed on the plane. It's like, you know. Mike I mean, Hessman's either going to hit like five home runs and dominate this tournament, or he's going to strike out every other bat. And it turned out to be that he struck, struck out every out, other and bat. And he actually literally did. He struck out, you know. 11 times in 22 plate appearances, I believe is what it was. Yeah. I mean, it was good to have him there because he can play shortstop in a pinch when you lost Knicks. But you had to rely on Mike Hessman, and uh, that just did not work and, out. And let me say also, in Davey Johnson's defense in some ways, one thing that's bad for him compared to most of these other teams here is it's like Cuba goes into this, and the Cuban manager goes into this tournament basically knowing whatever he has to do to win, that's all he has to do. Yeah. Like, if Pedro Lazo throws four innings one day and then throws five the next, if he can be effective doing it, you're not going to get any complaints as long right. as you come home with the gold. But, you know, the U.S. did have enough pitching depth. But, I don't no, think that was an but, issue. No, but hold on, that's what I'm saying, though. But... Part of the reason they got hamstrung is they carried on a 23-man roster 12 pitchers. Right. So what it meant was is when they did have the injuries, when they did have Jason Nix and Matt Laporta go down. Right. There's no – when it came to the lineup, no, the only no thing options. you can do is move guys up and down in the in the batting order. But you've got two catchers. That's the only backups you have. Right. You know The only backup you have is one catcher. So you can't pinch run. You can't pinch hit. You can't say, well, this, you know, Hessman's struggling, so I'm going to bench him for today. Right. None of that was an option. And That's that correct. was because I don't think that if you asked Team USA if they'd had their choice, that they'd have carried 12 pitchers, but they knew they had to because it was something where, well, we can't oh, throw was... this guy more than 75 pitches. We oh, can't clearly this... mandated, yeah. yeah. We that... can't throw any one of these guys back to back days, all that. Well, the one guy who wasn't on a pitch count is Steven Strasburg, and he's the one that he was the most careful with. I think to David Johnson's that. credit. Absolutely. And I mean, his credit. He threw 75 pitches, and that was all he allowed him to go in the gold medal game. What did you think about the decision to start Strasburg in the first place? Clearly, he has the best arm on Team USA, but this guy is 20 years old. Is his stuff that much better? I mean, like, Jake Arrieta is the one guy who didn't, uh, he only made one start. He could have gone also, I guess, with uh, – he could have staffed it or gone with Brett Anderson in that game as opposed – with the left-handers oh, opposed to Strasburg. What would you think of starting I, I Strasburg? I liked it. Like, I mean, we've talked about in the past that, you know, if you say what's the best way to attack Cuba, it's never been to throw a guy out there who's savvy, you know. I mean, there's well, – well, you that's, can't out-savvy Cuba. Well, that's the thing, though. Actually, teams have. Teams have always tried to throw thumbing lefties. That's always been the book on Cuba is the thumbing left-hander, and that's why the U.S. threw Rick Krivda at them in the first round-robin game in Sydney, and then John Rouse shoved it against them for four innings out of the bullpen, and they were like, okay, wait a minute, maybe we'll just go with the power guys. But they were going to go with Ben Sheets anyway. Right, but and I'm the, saying... But and, the- and in 2006, in the world... And, well, 2006, it was Kevin Slowey who started the game, and in 2007, it was Brian Dunsing. So I think the key here is to start a twin. They didn't have a, they didn't have a twin, <laughs> and I'm going to blame them for not having a twin. They should have had Anthony Swarzak or Tyler Robertson, who I guess is hurt, Kyle Waldrop's hurt. Who, what twin? Could, well, they had Brian Dunsing, yeah. and Brian Dunsing pitched well in relief in this game. I guess that's what I'm actually wondering is, 
to me, I think I might have gone with a veteran or an older guy to start, and I would have had Strasburg as my trump card later. Well, that was that's the only quibble I'd have. I, but again, I'm I'm nitpicking. Right, really I, I, say, I was surprised. I thought I I could have seen Strasburg going out there and just you know basically shoving it on him for right. seven innings. He didn't. Right. What happened was, and you saw. I mean, it's, I think this is going to be actually. I think I talked to you about this that. This will actually be good for Steven Strasburg long term. It could be absolutely because I agree with your point. In college baseball, he has no need for a third pitch. Correct. I mean, you, you almost you're you're you throw a changeup against a college lineup, you are doing them a favor. It's really a similar problem to Mark Pryor. That's exactly the same problem Mark Pryor had in college. That being said, what he saw against Cuba is is that you know what? I could Bef- use a third pitch before I make it to the big leagues. Because what happened? I mean, the reason he was at seventy five pitches wasn't that he wasn't around the zone. It wasn't that you know his stuff wasn't filthy. What it was though is is that without that third pitch, Cuba's approach was if you throw us a fastball and we can't you know we can't do something with it, yep. we'll foul it off, do it again. They were able to spoil quite a bit. And so basically, what they did is they worked his pitch count up real really quickly because he didn't have that change up to give them something else to have in the back of the head. Everything was going to come hard, and they knew it. Yep, and they were able to gear up for it, and uh, it to give Cuba's hitters, I think, a lot of that credit for spoiling, spoiling things for Steven Strasburg. It's been a long podcast. We knew it was coming. JJ and I have been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks, basically, uh, for the post-Olympic podcast. But I do think, ultimately, I think you have to give David Johnson and his players a lot of credit. Like I said, there are ways you can nitpick it for sure. But they had a lot of adversity. They had the beanball stuff with China, basically. They had David Johnson's kind of ridiculous arguments against Cuba, saying that Lazo threw at Jason Nix when the ball just like was an inside pitch. That hit the and bat. they hit the bat and hit him in the face. But they, they had a lot of bad breaks. They didn't make things easy on themselves at all. And yet, when they really needed to, they gathered themselves and beat Japan to win go, uh, the bronze medal. I think that's really uh, an outstanding accomplishment for this team. They went 6-3. and You would like to see them be more competitive against Cuba. In the semifinal. That's really it. And the thing is, they were down 4-2 in the eighth. Like right. You watch that entire game start to finish. I've watched parts of it. Cuba dominated the game from start to finish. You would have liked to have seen them had more of a chance. Yeah, they were still in the game. They were still in the game. It was 4-2. They were still in the game. That being said... You had, had no one extra base game. hit in the entire game. And it came in the ninth and they were down right. 10-2. And they, had really, they had no business winning that game. And Cuba deserved to win it. Cuba was the better team. So I think, that honestly, what happened in the Olympics is the best team finished first, the second best team finished second, and the third best team really finished third. And if you're Japan, you got to wonder what the heck is going on here. No it? medal in 2000 with big leaguers, a, a bronze medal in 2004 with big leaguers, and no medal in 2008 with big leaguers. Thank goodness for Japan's baseball uh identity and baseball pride that they won the World Baseball Classic in 2006 because really internationally they have no claim to dominance or being a baseball power, a consistent baseball power. They have one medal in the last three Olympics. Right. Even the U.S. has two, and the U.S. wasn't even wasn't even in one of those Olympics. Right, and that's the thing. Is the and World Korea baseball... has two, and Korea wasn't in 2004 either. That's the, but the World Baseball Classic does give them... Oh, no doubt. A lot of credibility. It's a pretty good fig was, leaf. Yeah, that's a pretty good one because that's, you know. That's the one where Ichiro played, and he didn't play in any of the other ones. Dice K played in 2000 and 2004 and 2006 uh, and has the, the World Baseball Classic gold medal to show for it and the bronze in 2004. But Ichiro is the difference. I think I, I, that actually is another. If you're in Japan, I think that fact burnishes Ichiro's legend even more over all these pitchers or whatever. Ichiro kind of stands alone as the guy who had the best big league career of any Japanese player and was the leader of the World Baseball Classic Gold Medal Championship team. It's a little 
tidbit for me when I think uh, it just even more sets Ichiro apart from his countrymen, whether it's uh, Hideki Matsui or Kenji Jojima or anybody else who's coming to the United States. It's he's right. here and everybody else is down here. And, and we will give an homage to Sadaharo O, who is you know who was the manager also in 2006, but, you know, who, who burnished his legacy. You know, which I mean, absolutely. He, it's almost Best like player in Japan and the manager who had success. It's like if Babe Ruth had. Actually, gotten that managerial That's job right. and then become one of the best managers in. Well, international baseball moves on to next year's World Baseball Classic. That could be interesting. Uh, be ex- I, I am excited about that because that is truly. I mean, we may have problems with you know who's going to commit to playing right. and all that, but you are talking about the best of the best playing each other. And I think it's going to be uh, fascinating to see if baseball uh, that World Baseball Classic now the Olympics are out and that it is clearly the ultimate in baseball internationally how MLB plays that out and whether it expands the World Baseball Classic to include more clubs, whether or not Greece gets an invite for the future so he can have George Contos take the mound and Nick Markakis take the mound and Mike Moustakis take the mound for, for the Greek team. That's just, I'm the only one who seems to care about that. Not even Mike Moustakis and Nick Markakis seem to care about that. But uh, it's, this will be probably the last international baseball podcast we have for a very long time. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. I promise that next week we will return to your emails at podcast at baseballamerica.com, but we clearly had a lot to say this week. Thanks so much for the download, and until the next podcast, so long, everybody. Wow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.